The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about magazines. No, not the kind of magazines that you're hiding from your wife or you've hidden under your hobby table or they're under the chair in your man cave. Not those kind of magazines. We're going to talk about Military Miniature Magazine. And tonight, we have the editor-in-chief, Jason Weiser. Jason, how are you doing? I'm I'm great, guys. I'm great. Um, just just for the record, I love those other kind of magazines. But we won't get into that. <laughs> we won't get into those kind of magazines. That's that's why I refer to my wargaming room as a dude room, not a wargaming room. So my wife's not surprised what she finds when she walks into the dude room. Uh, but anyway, we also have the no longer a new guy, the the most recent graduate of the National Dick Bag Academy. Casey, congratulations on graduating to full-time member of the podcast. What's up, buddy? I'm excited. But uh, about that dental plan for... Yeah, yeah. I recommend you go to Walmart and buy those little flossing things, those little little toothpicks. Yeah, those those will work out for you. <laughs> well, you just, you're not a world-class dick bag yet. I want to I be clear on this. You have not graduated to that level yet. You're just I'm a national I'm going to regret level. ever telling you that word. <laughs> you are, because we're going to beat that word until we can get all of it out of it. Anyway... Okay, so tonight, talking about Military Miniature Magazine. Now, if everybody first off says, uh, what the hell is Military Miniature Magazine? I think you can be forgiven because they've only released one of their, of of 102, or sorry, 101 is their first magazine has come out. 201 is about to come out, right, Jason? I think in January. January fourteenth, okay. we are hitting the virtual stands. Perfect. Uh, so, so you're not too out of the loop if you say, "What the heck is Military Miniature Magazine?" All right, that's the focus of tonight's episode. So, so hold that thought. But, Jason, I want to talk a little bit about your background before we get to what the magazine is, what the magazine does. How the heck did you end up in gaming? You know, I, I went out, I read your bio, I read some of the the fluff that we always say about ourselves and, you know, how smart and good looking we are. And you, like me, started with tactics too and like pushing around those little cardboard counters. How did you end up from there to here to running a magazine? Well, that's a long road. Uh, well, we have it, all night. <laughs> I, I understand. Um, well, uh, it started out when uh, it was my ninth birthday. I had just come back from Rhoda. Uh, I was a Navy brat, and my father had done a rotation. Ah, oh, Rhoda. That's a that's a topic for another day, but ah, oh, Rhoda. <laughs> oh, then you're familiar. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so was my hangover. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, um, so... Uh, I got. I get back. My grandfather had bought me a copy of Tactics Two at the local Barnes and Noble. They he lived in New York City, so you know, Barnes and Noble was like you know the biggest bookstore in town. You know the old joke about another bookstore comes to town and you know one of the employees says, uh, "Sir, there's Mr. Barnes and a Mr. Noble to see you." And you know they're big guys in trench coats. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I digress. <Exactly. laughs> I digress. But um, 
you know, so he bought me a copy of Tactics 2, and he told me later on in life, he said, that was the worst damn birthday present I ever got you, J-Boy. <laughs> that, that's wonderful, because I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's not just my parents that had, you know, in a sense, buyer's remorse for running a book and game store and sending me down this horrible road for the rest of my life. <laughs> yup. <laughs> all right, well, so, so moving on from that, you end up all of a sudden, you know, years later in miniature gaming. How'd you, how'd you end up making that transition? Well, it was kind of... It went. I went the traditional route. I was. I went. You know, board gaming for a number of years until about '84 when I discovered, of course, role-playing games. Now, for me, it wasn't the traditional route. It wasn't D and D. My 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 poison of choice was Twilight 2000. Yes, um, we knew we loved you for a reason, but we'll talk about <laughs> Twilight 2000 yes. later because I didn't. I didn't do the new Kickstarter, and I just dug my uh, my old stuff out. But but we're, we're going to go down that addiction later. <laughs> yep. Um, and then after that, you know, I met a good friend of mine in junior high. Uh, I'll just say his first name, Chris. Um, and he got me down the, the final path of the dark side. Napoleonics? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Actually, he was, but my first ever miniatures game was World War II Naval. But oh, excellent, excellent. I didn't end up ever doing Naval all that much, except for Starships, but that's a different story. Um, but... You know, what was really got me in was 20 millimeter World War II. Because why? I was, you know, young junior high kid. And uh, at boxes of SE or Ravel figures were 10 bucks a pop. And you get a whole platoon for like 10 bucks. Yeah. And, and I'm reminding people that 20 mil actually used to be a scale. We're not talking about 28 millimeter here. And we're not talking about 15. 20 was its own scale for a long time and nobody plays it anymore but that's all right <laughs> hey i still play i still play i still have almost well most of my 20 mil stuff and i still use it i nice and we nice. still have something of a 20 millimeter community here in northern virginia not a big one but there's a number of us ab miniatures 20 millimeter are a gift from god those are the <laughs> best looking miniatures i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and see there's another friend of mine out there michael i will uh, you know i'm keeping last names out of this to protect the guilty um uh michael would probably say you're in league with you know beelzebub and a bunch of other things i i can't say on this radio program because i promised people i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> well good well we can be the bad influence but you know it's funny and and that's really a topic for for a good discussion about how scales have changed and how tastes have changed and they come back around and and then you know what the heck even scale means which obviously is something you end up dealing with all the time because We'll talk about it in the magazine. There's certain things you focus that are that are scale representative, and then there's certain topics that you guys hit that that you're not dealing with it as a scale wargaming piece. You're talking about purely the history of it, um, and and that's one of the things that I like is is kind of the choose your own adventure. Let let wargamers figure out what scale they want to do this in, but at least give them the background information and the kind of things they need to to figure it out. So so oh, you end up in miniature wargaming. Um, how do you go from, from playing a bunch of miniature games to saying to yourself, you know what, I've got a great idea. In the era of no magazines, I want to create an online magazine and then drive that towards a print magazine sale. How'd you come up with that good idea? Well, um, uh, about a year and a half ago, well, actually, no, a little less than that, about a year ago, during the height of the pandemic, uh, I got contacted by an author friend of mine, Blaine Pardo. He knew a um, 
uh, Samantha Rife, who was, was fr- she was he was friends with her husband Jamie, and Samantha was trying to take her historical research firm SJR and break into the wargaming market. So she offered me a job doing paid blogging. So I did a bunch of paid blogs, and she's she was like, you know, that ran its course for a little while, and then she said, how else can we break into the miniature wargaming market in this country? First words out of my mouth were, let's do a magazine. And no, I, no, the, gamers cannot read. Have you learned nothing <laughs> all of your time? We, we literally laugh about this over on the lead pursuit side. We're like, I don't think any of us actually read the entire article until like the fourth read through. I mean, the first one is always just flip through, look at all, all the, all the cool pictures. Ooh, wow. Ooh, that's a cool paint job. Ooh, that's a crappy paint job. Ooh, look at that. Ooh, I've never seen that figure before. And then we actually kind of skip already back to the wargaming stuff. And we're like, what about a scenario? Ooh, what are their rules? And then we're like, okay, let's read the history. So, so I right after YouTube that, to find the rules right after that. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, after all that, we're like, shit, someone has probably done an unboxing of this and I can figure it out faster by reading. Yeah. So gamers are the worst readers in the world. I mean, we don't even read for content half of the time. And how do I know that? Because I read the forums on BGG and you ask questions literally right out of the rule book. But that's all right. <laughs> so in this era of, of war gamers that are terrible readers, you said, you know what? Let's do a magazine. Yeah, I mean, I had said to myself, you know, I remember M1, I remember Courier, and I remember, you know, having a good time reading those magazines, uh, you know, when I was a, young, a younger gamer, and, you know, I remember thinking as the British magazines covered America less and less and less after, you know, M1 and Courier folded up shop, and I said to myself, you know, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. And then when I found myself in that position after the paid blogging and I made that suggestion, I said, you know, I guess that somebody's got to be me. Yeah. Isn't that how volunteerism works, Casey? Yeah. You should know this. <laughs> exactly <laughs> hey, Casey, what does Navy stand for? <laughs> oh, God. Never again volunteer yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I laugh because, and you and I talked about it when we were we were chatting a, a week or so ago. That that's kind of the space that Lead Pursuit found itself in, where they're like, "Man, someone really ought to do a blog about Blood Red Skies." And then we looked around, and we're like, "I guess that's us <laughs> that have to do this." So, so good on you for for jumping into that space and saying, "Absolutely, I'll take on that mantle. I'll run with it." Um, and we'll talk about here in a bit a lot of the the influences, the directions, the the different things ways can go with you know, with an online magazine trying to push into print. Uh, but but when you start building this idea of an online magazine, were there things that you wanted to learn from from the past, ways that, that other magazines or other media outlets maybe had failed, or things they'd done right and said, we really want to capitalize on that? I kind of had my own vision, I'll be honest with you. Um, I had some ideas from things I had seen from some of the independent press magazine, gaming press magazines of the 80s. Obviously, Courier M1 were big influences for me. But I'm other looking inf- at my game merchandising magazine from the 1980s, which makes me miss all those games I never bought. <laughs> yeah. How old are you? God. Would you shut up, Casey? <laughs> don't, don't, don't make me refer to the fact you have woodland camis that you know no self-respecting Marine from, from any era after us would own. <laughs> Sorry, let me, I had to beat down the new guy there. Continue. Uh, smack him with a trapper keeper for me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
shut up. There might be one of those in my gaming box somewhere. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, going back to – but I also got influenced by magazines like Tr- Challenge, uh, the GDW House magazine that was – it sort of became something more that was their role-playing magazine. I got influenced by – good lord, I'm trying to remember – um, there was this uh, Stardate magazine. I got influenced by a bunch of magazines that I remember from my youth reading and enjoying and you know pulling various gonzo rules out of and saying, you know what, this was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I always think that between Strategy and Tactics, Space Gamer, and Dragon, there were things that that were absolutely game breakers or were ideas that were terrible, but they were fun to try. And then it was also an outlet for a lot of publishers to kind of put out that, that first run of something and, and try something. And I know, especially for dragon, it was funny how many different pocket games came out that way. And same way with space gamer, uh, where there were things that were released that later you saw on as a, as a, as a boxed game. Um, but a lot of times you had kind of played it early with cut out print and play back, back in the day before what everyone now knows is print and play. <laughs> it was, you <laughs> yeah. took your space gamer magazine to school and you Xeroxed it. So you didn't actually have to cut out the counters that you were given. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Um, but you know, one of the things that really, you know, really got, got me going is, is that, you know, we can do a lot of cool things. They couldn't do in the eighties with courier and M1, we can do full color. We can do really nice looking, you know, layouts. We can do, you know, articles that are, you know, very well edited because thank you. Thank you, MS Word, for something, you know, when I'm not usually. I, look, I don't know why all of my documents have red underlining under like every other word. <laughs> Maybe because I went to school in Alabama. I don't know. But apparently it says I don't write well. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I just, I guess I find myself say, find my found myself saying at the time, you know, it's not just a chance to do this magazine because God knows it's it's a labor of love and it's fun, but it's you know a chance to really leave something behind because you know what, people will still be looking at this darn thing somewhere online in some archive long after you know they, they I'm pushing up daisies. Well, I hope anyway. <laughs> Well, and that's the scary part is that all these things that we write and put out there, somebody's going to kick over an archive like 300 years from now and go, what were they doing with their time? <laughs> Pushing little plastic airplanes around, little little metal men with, you know, stabby pointy things. Yeah. So uh, it, it's interesting what endures and what doesn't. And along those lines, it's it's kind of funny to me when I, because I'm an old dude, I enjoy reading my hard copy magazines from, uh, you know, Journal of Travelers Aid Society, from Challenger Magazine, mm-hmm. all these other things, uh, that I really don't get the same level of enjoyment always uh, looking at them online. And and I can go out and I can buy the CD from uh, Far Future Enterprise that has all of the JTAS magazines. But I'll be honest, I'd rather actually waste my money and buy them on eBay <laughs> or buy them from Noble Knight, you know, buy all the ones I can't find. Uh, because there's still something to be said about the physicality of it. And and for something, I, I think this is the inter- interesting space we're in now with, with gaming magazines is that the physicality really is tied to nostalgia. And that we're, at least for me and, and most of the people of my generation, and, and Casey, you and I have talked about this a lot, if it's something new, we can flip the switch. 
if it's something we've never seen before, we can flip the switch in our mind and go, you know what? I just need the digital copy. I don't need a hard copy of it. But if it's something with nostalgia, the digital copy just doesn't satisfy. So, no, I mean, exactly obviously, right. yeah, Casey, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Um, and I know we, we'd said about some of the, the books that we're reading from Hellion that um, it's, it's really cool that they're available in a digital because I don't need another huge, you know, eight and a half by 11 picture book of Iraqi aircraft. You know, I, I just, I just need the data. <laughs> hey, I don't want to read the articles. Dream. Everybody needs 200 pages of Iraqi MIGs. Okay? Oh God. Yeah. Oh. Was, so, so literally that's, I mean, that, that's kind of where I was today as I was going through some of those books. I'm like, thank God these are digital because otherwise this would be taking up room I don't have on my shelf. So um, anyway, the, the point of that is, is you guys have thought about that as you're working on the magazine. And obviously your goal is to eventually transition possibly to print. What, what have you all said about that? Uh, the goal for print is, is I will say, in flux. And it's in flux for two things. One, sales. We got to have a, a number of sales to justify going to print. It's, it's that's the hard economic reality. The second problem, and this is just a sign of the times, glossy paper, it, there's a shortage. I, I laughed when I heard you say that over on anything but a one because I, I listened to Tom. Tom's a, a good buddy of mine. And, and I laughed as soon as you said that. And I'm like, my God, does everything have to be a shortage? I mean, like last week, it was it was the counter types that, that Fortress Games wanted to use for their two Kickstarters. And of course, now it's glossy paper. I'm like, OK, whatever. Everything has to be a shortage at some point in this in, in this global nightmare. <laughs> Well, you know, it, 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 somebody joked that uh, all of this is like the beginning of a, an apocalyptic movie, you know, the, like the newscast on how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we ran out of glossy paper. That's how we got to the apocalypse, really. Do I have to, yeah. do I have to connect the dots for you? Yeah. No, sorry. Continue, please. <laughs> but anyway, um, I mean, to make a long story short, you know, that's that's essentially what what we need is we we need a certain level of subscriber base and a certain level level of readership to justify the economic decision to go to paper because it's it's going to be more expensive and it's going to fix the size of the magazine. Like when we're digital, we could do just about any well, theoretically we could do any size we wanted. Practically, there's an upper limit, and the upper limit being our subscribers literally screaming at us that, oh, my God, your magazine took 20 minutes to download. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which, thankfully, <laughs> we're not there yet. That's but... their fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, get Google Fiber. Do we have to think of everything for you people? Come on, really? No, and and that's a, an interesting point to bring up because there is – there currently on the Internet, there's so much information, and so many times it, it's such a – huge dump of it. And if you take all that and you pile it into a magazine, that doesn't necessarily serve anyone any better because you're not quickly downloading, you're not taking it on a portable device, you're not downloading it real time on a portable device because it's, you know, 3,000 bazillion terabytes of pictures and data and things like that. So that's obviously a compromise that that you guys will have to work through. And, you know, I'll be honest, um, at least from the, the one you know, one chance we've had to look at things. Uh, I think it's a good balance that you guys have right now between the amount of art, the amount of images, um, because at, at the end of the day, part of this is to build something that people can quickly consume. 
And if people really want to go out there and pixel peep somebody's armies, uh, go look them up on Instagram or Facebook <laughs> or find their blog, oh. you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And and we made a decision early on. I, I was talking to Samantha about, you know, pictures versus content, because one of the com- one of the things she noticed about, you know, certain British magazines whose names I will leave out of it um, is that they're stressing a lot more photos over content. And I said, you know what? I don't know if I necessarily want to go in that direction. I know we're a miniature wargaming magazine. We have to have a certain level of eye candy, and I don't argue that. But you know what? Damn it. I I have faith in the community's ability to read. As misplaced as that might be, gentlemen, I have faith. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but but all joking aside, you, you bring up a valid point. And it's one of the things that Casey and I have talked about as we've looked at things that lead pursuit should do and eye candy is super easy for people to consume but the problem is the world we live in is the world of instagram where people look at it they might like it they might swipe even if you put three images together in the same post they might swipe through those and they are done in less than 30 seconds and unless something really engaged them and they want to comment and as they usually do when they see my stuff say that was terrible please never paint again or they'll say Casey's and go that's awesome how did you do that uh, then then that's about the level of interaction you get but somehow when you put text out there and it's text that people have time to read not like Instagram where they just skip it because they can afford to then you get some level of interaction and I'll be interested to see as you guys go through your issues and go from, you know, 101 to 201 and follow on to uh, later issues, you know, what what level of interaction you get back about the writing? Because to be honest, that's what people are either going to agree with or take exception to. They might say, no, I think you guys totally got that battle report wrong. I think you got that interpretation of how the, the fight went wrong. Or they might be like, that's the most awesome rule set in the world. Thank you for reviewing that. Um, I, I think that's what's going to be interesting because there isn't as much passionate engagement about images. Well, unless it's one of Casey's memes, then there is. Uh, <laughs> but there's not that same level of passionate engagement about just images. It's kind of something we consume. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's <clears throat> Excuse me. There's no argument there. Um, I, 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 I think what I want to do is I want to tell the story behind the images. I want the, I want the images to fire the imagination that when you read what the author is writing, you're like, you know, you're, you're like Notre Dame on game day. You're like, yeah, let's get out there. Let's run this game. My God, I want to buy all the figures right now. (laughs) No, no, I don't need to do that anymore. My, my wallet says that's a terrible idea. In fact, (laughs) and I'm sorry, we only do big 12 and sec references. Oh, Oh. Uh, we're not going to talk to the man from Texas anymore. You're cut off. How do I mute Casey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about the uniquely American perspective, because I think that's another piece of this from what you guys have tried to set out and say, you know what, we're going to make sure we have images, but we're text heavy. We're going to, you know, put numerical reviews in there. We're going to we're going to put a little bit of the who in all of these things that we say, hey, this is good, this is bad, we think you ought to invest in this, we think you ought to avoid this. And then there's a little bit of on, on the U.S. perspective. So what guided you down that road to saying, or to realizing at least, that other outlets were not necessarily serving a regional perspective? Well, I mean, look at the convention reports in our first issue. Um, I can honestly tell you, the Br- the British glossies, 
they won't cover Origins, which is a or Gen Con, I should say. Well, they and I was co- going to say, I, I was I was all really happy until I read that <clears throat> article, and then I wanted to cry. I'm like, so once again, I did not go to Gen Con, and now I feel like I missed out again. So thank you very much for rubbing salt in the wound. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I didn't make Gen Con either. We 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 hired uh, someone to cover it, and yep. she, well, did, she did a pretty she good did job. A great, she did a good job, and, and that, that was why I laughed because literally I got to the end of the article, and I'm like, and once again, I feel like I have made a mistake by not going to Gen Con, uh, which I think is where you want people to be. You want them to yeah. to to feel like yes, there was something worth going there, and they missed out by not going. But it's it's funny to me because you're absolutely right that um, maybe maybe Gen Con gets covered by overseas magazines, but they certainly don't cover smaller regional things or even Historicon. They don't cover uh, certainly don't cover Millennium Con, whatever that was down in. Hey, hey, hey! Did hey, actually hey, go to that? I didn't go to that <laughs> convention. Um, apparently, Rob Womanhorse went to it and said it was the greatest convention ever. And thankfully, he bought a copy of Blood Red Skies there, so he's now one of us. So this is this is the official gauntlet throwing down on the podcast. Uh, Rob, if you're listening, you have been outed. We know you're a Blood Red Skies player now. So didn't he no say more, he was no to Checker Six too? I'm pretty sure I have a recording <laughs> somewhere. He he can play Checker Six, and that's okay. That's all right. He he can serve two masters. We know that he just enjoys Blood Red Skies more, and that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about that U.S. Um, perspective because I think it goes beyond just the events. So, what are some of the other things that you all really focus on uh, for the U.S. perspective? Well, I mean, it's trying to tell the stories of some of these independent game producers in the states. There's a lot of little game companies here in this country. There's a lot of you know small one man bands here in these here in this country. There is a lot of you know companies that don't get the attention of the glossies because who are the glossies paying attention to? They're paying attention to Warlord. They're paying attention to Osprey Games. They're paying attention. Exactly. You know, and I'm not faulting them. They put out good product. We wouldn't be playing it if it wasn't any damn good. So but they just don't proofread their product. Oh, I'm sorry, too soon. Did I say that out loud, Casey? <laughs> yeah. So you're speaking my language on this. How was your, your reception been to reaching out to these U.S. companies, wanting to shine a spotlight on them? It's at times been difficult. We've been really trying to get Black Sight Studios. Yes, if you're listening, we still want to do an interview. Thank you. Um, Black Sight, this is Doug. You should do an interview with them because these guys are good. <laughs> I don't I know if they actually listen to me right anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, but, I love Black Sight, and it's just so funny. I, I feel bad because I haven't bought as much of their stuff as I should have. But oh, Black Sight, give got, them an interview. <laughs> I've, I've got their um, uh, Lunar – I, I d- did their Lunar uh, – pre-sale and i bought a bunch of their figures for for, for us to review and yeah i i like yeah, them I'm, two of my favorites are black side studios and death ray designs those those we two reviewed them uh blaine pardo reviewed them for us uh this uh our, our just our first issue so yep, yep. we I love those guys yeah yeah they're, yeah uh, they're all and we'll see them all at adepticon again um i i do laugh because thankfully i didn't buy the huge uh freighter terrain from from black site studios because i was gonna buy it for dust 1947 a game system which i still have yet to play and now it's going out of print so <laughs> yeah yeah that was... i probably will never play my big freighter battle that we were supposed to play that we tried to design in the early days of the lead pursuit podcast but that's all right <laughs> but we digress as as casey was saying yeah what are some of these other things people that you've tried to interact with that have that have uh, kind of led you down this road well it's just like i said it's 
giving that uniquely American perspective. You know, I'll give you an example, rules writing. British rules writing tends to be, you know, they tend to write kind of informally. Everybody's in on the quote unquote joke. Everybody gets, you oh know, God, what you're, you're really trying to say. you're speaking language on the podcast. This is why we lose our mind with our British counterparts. <laughs> yes. So, you know, the British are very informal and, you know, they're not really worried if they miss a case or two. And look, I love, there's some British rules that I love out there. Peers, if you're listening, I love Battle Group. I really do. Don't, don't, don't think I'm ragging on you, buddy. Um, but, you know, but on the other hand, American rules writers, we write rules like legal documents. Yes, because we precision do. in language is a thing to be commended. It, and, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast has probably even heard Andy uh, Chambers and I spar over this. It's one of the funny things that my American brain wants it to be very precise. I want yeah. to paint the rules lawyers into a corner and I want them to exactly understand it. Whereas you're absolutely right. It's the British are like, Everybody gets it. No one could possibly misunderstand it. And that is literally the discussion I have with Andy anytime I ask about a frequently asked question update to, uh, to Blood Red Skies. I'm like, I think people miss that. And Andy's like, how could they possibly miss it? We use the English language. I'm like, stop right there. Stop right there, Andy. <laughs> so, so literally, it's, it's one of those points that we just view the world very differently. And some of that's probably due to the competitive nature of American wargaming, whether it be you know, sci-fi 40K stuff or competitive Flames of War, uh, Team Yankee, whatever it is. There's, there's always a much more precise wording requirement for the American side, uh, I've found. Yeah, there is. And, you know, we ha we I want to address that, but I also want to kind of, you know, I mean, I don't want to make too many crazy movie references, but I want to take the British style wargaming and I want to mesh it with the American style in sort of a comfortable meeting ground. And I think this magazine could be that because I'll admit I go for the narrative fluff. I go for the telling of stories. I am not the world's most competitive gamer. Hell, I lose more games than I win. So I'm just, why would I be competitive? I'm only competitive when I'm beating the snot out of other players on this podcast. <laughs> when anyone's off the podcast, I'm not competitive. I'm not at all. I'm like, whatever, I'll lose, no big deal. If it's Steve or Casey or Brett, I'm competitive as hell and screw all you guys I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Um, He's so, very humble, too. I, I am, as you can tell. Well, So you and I haven't had a grudge match. I, I think this means, Casey, that Adepticon, there might have to be a Casey-Doug grudge match because I've already spanked the shit out of Steve. So, uh, would you like to be next? <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> what's, what's life if you don't have a grudge match inside your own team? Uh, okay, uh, what you what you consulted what you consenting adults do in the in, behind yeah. closed doors is been a my damn business. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and I but I think that's one of the the features that we've seen in American wargaming that's so funny um, because when the our British counterparts tend to get together, they're happy to see each other, they want to play a game, they want to have fun, they want to go to the pub and have a couple beers. Um, on the American side, we. We, I should say, Lead Pursuit, uh, initially thought that, okay, American gamers are, are all about either narrative or they're about tournament play. But what we found, ironically, is there's actually this third category of grudge match. And it isn't so much that you want a tournament and you want to come out on top, but you want to call out your buddy. And it's usually your buddy that you haven't played in a while. And you want to go, you and I have been talking a lot of smack. And I don't care about the rest of the jerks in this room. I mean, who cares where I come out of the tournament? I just want to beat you in the best two out of three games. Um, and so it's been it's been interesting to us and 
for those of us that are going to meet us at Adepticon, those that will go to um, uh, to Twisted Lords, where the next gathering of Eagles after Adepticon is going to be, we're going to do grudge matches, and we're going to allow people to call out other other people uh, prior, so we know who's supposed to play who. Um, but that's that's become kind of our third category of of gaming, and at least for. Steve and I found out it's a lot of fun. I mean, as long as there's no ego involved and you're calling the other guy out, or guy or gal out, because you just want to have fun and just roll dice and determine who has bragging rights for the next year. Um, it's it's a valid you know format of gaming. Oh yeah, I I, I know we uh, uh, some friends and I we play a lot of Frostgrave, um, and I know that uh, the Dave. Who, whose wizard I threw out of a third-story window with a frost giant it probably wants to get me back for that. Defenestration, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> There's my big word for the day. I feel all educated. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, you know, th- there's absolutely that level of grudge match in American wargaming. And if it's taken in, in jest and fun, it could be great. I, I oh, mean, absolutely. God. Absolutely. You know, I, I have a friend of mine, Steve, he knows how to dangle the lure in front of me like, you know, nobody's business. He'll he'll get me looking one way and then smack me in the other, and I still haven't learned. And God knows, I, I play against him. Well, I haven't played against him in a while, but every time I play against him, I always fall for it. And one of these days, <laughs> I will learn not to fall no, for it. No, no, you won't. You'll keep falling for it. <laughs> so, that, you know, and I think you bring something up there that's, that's super important about the community is that – um, the community in every country is always a little bit different. And we talked about this mm-hmm. uh, a couple times over a couple episodes in the podcast that the American community is different than the British community is different than the European community is different than the Russian community is different than the Malaysian and Singaporean gaming community. They're all very different. And I think that's one of the great things about war gaming is that we should never lose the perspective on how valuable local community is and that it can be different. It can emphasize different things. My, you know, I, I laugh at when I go visit my Singaporean and Malaysian friends that for them with games like Blood Red Skies and even Bolt Action, it's not so much tournament. It's kind of a cross between tournament and narrative. There's, there's got to be multiple people involved to make it sort of like a tournament, but they want more narrative flavor to it. Um, and especially, you know, my, like my Singaporean team Yankee players, they're like, I don't want to play Western Europe stuff. We're going to make up our own, you know, Chinese, Singaporean, Malaysian, you know, uh, Southeast Asian conflicts. And we're going to fight that with team Yankee managers uh, because they, they want a local flair to it. So I think that's the good thing for your magazine is you're refocusing on the U.S. And you're obviously focusing on what's a large market and has a different cultural dynamic than British gaming. And I like the fact that you're focusing on U.S. vendors. So I do have to I have to pick up my buddy Rob again because I was I was reading through the magazine and of course you had the review of their Wake Island terrain and I will I will give a huge plug for fights on and their terrain. Um, I think it's awesome. I have their three inch hex version of Midway and I use it all the time. Um, but I was so happy that Rob sent you a pre painted version that he painted. Because literally, I thought I was the worst terrain painter out there <laughs> until I saw his oh, garish Wake Island. <laughs> now, Rob, now, Rob, I love you, Rob, but oh my God, yellow sand—the color of like fluorescent yellow. <laughs> oh God! 
<laughs> so so that made me feel good. I'm like, thank God, Rob paints terrain worse than I do. Uh, but but that was a super cool thing, and I and I want to highlight that the way you guys do the review because you really kind of call out a bunch of different stuff. You don't just say, hey, here's something that's available. You kind of say, here's the quality of the build. Here's the quality of the information you get, which, oh, by the way, kind of made me feel stupid for some of the stuff we send out from Lead Pursuit. You know, here's the quality of the information. Here's how it can apply to you. Here's the other kind of research you'll have to do when you buy this piece of kit, gaming, you know, terrain, uh, vehicle, whatever. And that's super cool to me because that's that's kind of the total package deal, unlike a lot of places or a lot of outlets that just kind of say, hey, it was a really cool piece of 3D printed terrain. And you're like, what did it come with? Uh, was, was, you know, did you have to trim the edges off of it? You know, any, any of those kind of things. And, and I enjoyed that from the reviews you did both of figures and of the terrain. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, like I said, we, you know, I can't take credit. I mean, for our miniature rating system, I can't take credit for that. Blaine, if you're listening, thank you for coming up with that. Um, Blaine Pardo really came up with that for us when he did his death ray designs system and we've just taken that and we're going to run with it it's partly subjective it's partly not um you know well it's always going to be subjective in a little bit and that's yeah it's okay you know i I guess the problem of the internet today is nobody wants you to be subjective but you're going to be subjective and you might not like something that somebody else goes that's the greatest piece of terrain ever and you go it doesn't have enough terrain relief you know or whatever there's a million reasons you can disagree i think i think having somebody who is willing to be subjective and expose themselves to that criticism uh to me is huge because that, oh that, yeah that that's a large part of and i'm going to get on my soapbox here journalistic integrity in the sense to say you know this was my take on it you your take may differ and you should publish that and say it out there in the blogging space here's what we on the magazine crew thought of that piece of gear that miniature that that game Oh yeah, we always invite comment. You know, I've I've I put it in the editorial. Hey, please address your letters to the editor. Make them short, short, pithy, and in good taste. I was going to say when your letters to the editor are larger than some of your features, then you know you have a problem. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't really. think you're to that point yet, but uh, but no, that that's good that you guys are are asking for that feedback because I think that's that's critical. And f- for the few magazines that I still get in paper form, I'll be honest the first thing I kind of do is go to the letters of the editor piece and say, okay, I know the controversial issues from the last magazine I read. What did people say back to it? And of course, there's always people that will say, you're absolutely wrong and you're the worst person ever. And people say, thank you for raising that issue. You're you know, the savior of whatever topic this is. We know there's going to be people that are polarized. Hopefully, you all get some good feedback from the community as to, hey, that was super helpful to me or that review didn't answer these other seven questions I have about that terrain or that, that, that box or whatever. Well, I mean, we'll, we're, like I said, we're doing our best. Uh, I'll admit I'm probably writing a lot of the reviews, although I'm trying to farm that out because I'm one guy, <laughs> you know, and I, I wrote about, I want to say 60, 65% of the first issue. I've gotten that down. I, I might've noticed that as I, as I was laughing. Yeah, I got it down to about first 50% issue. for the next issue. You, you did, which, which was good. And I'll be honest, that was something that was, that was noticeable to me was I'm like, okay, Jason is having to cover less of 
the the meat of the issue, which is good. And we know that the first time out the gate, you always have to kind of walk the dog, hold people's hand, you know, kind of kind of show what the the topics in the magazine is going to be about, and then everybody else kind of can start filling in from there. And I know Casey had a little bit of a question about that, about how how information gets to you guys to make it into the magazine. Yeah. Well, so. Um... Sorry. You know, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's just that was one of my things from first reading. I was like, oh, you know, they're touching on a lot of stuff. Oh, hey, I just got this. I'd love to share that. And some of my buddies were talking about the same thing. So if someone wants to write something, either a review or a battle report or something, how do they get it to you and about what's the timeline on it? Well, uh, we are closed up for the January issue. In fact, we got oversubscribed in about a week. It's a good problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a problem. But the April issue, we are still taking submissions for. Um, we are taking them up until February the 18th. So if you want to submit something, got, got something you want to review, now's your time. <laughs> so, and on that, though, going through this issue, I really appreciated how in the back of the issue, if someone does want to submit something, you broke it down. Hey, this is what you need to do and kind of some tips like the photography tips and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. You don't usually see that. Tip one, well, don't have Doug do your photography. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Rob do your painting. Just kidding, Rob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, Rob should not paint your terrain for you, and Doug should not do the photography. Call Casey. <laughs> he, he will work for a dental plan. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a harsh crowd around here. Yeah, really. Uh, but no, but that's what I mean. You know, and, and you know, like I said, you can email me at j- jason at militaryminiature.com. And, you know, if you have any questions or you want to send, you know, we, we really like people to send us at least 100 words. You know, you don't have to do – we know you less than that just to give us an idea of what you want to write because we say, we have an editor, editorial calendar. And I'm sitting here with this Google spreadsheet, and I'm tracking everything. And, you know, it's one color when it's when it's not written yet. Another color when we get it and send it to edits. Another color when I've sent the thing from edit to – to our layout guy, oh Kevin God, the organized editorial calendar. So so you're going to laugh when I say this, that there are magazines that I am amazed how much of an advertising and subscription budget they have that don't even do that. So, so let me make this shameless plug <laughs> for Military Miniature Magazine here, that that level of organization is, is refreshing because in the aviation photography world that I also spend a lot of time in, there are major headlining magazines that have no idea what they are printing next month. And they have no idea who's covering it and when they're going to turn it in and what those deadlines are and what the quality of the article is going to be. And the fact that you are at least that detail-oriented, and I'm sure it's also that is Samantha is keeping you on task. <laughs> oh, she is. I will admit. She came I, up I have with to give her props every good man. The, yeah, well, I have to give her props as the managing editor because – um, my limited engagement with her has been awesome. She is super helpful, and I can tell she is super organized, which yes. <laughs> is a key she, for the managing editor. She got a she got me on the right foot, and I'm just using the tool she gave me and running with it. And you know, I I'm also picking up some tricks from some of the books I've written in the past. You know, I wrote a couple of you know Cold War Gone Hot scenario books. Stop. We and, have a whole podcast on that. Shut up, Casey. We're going to talk about Cold War. Right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not talking about Cold War Gone Hot. That is way too much fun. I'm, I'm, happiness. Too, I'm too obsessed, but that's another matter. This might be a um, bad thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but in any event, um, you know, going 
going down that road, it's like, you know, organization is a good thing for a mag for, for any endeavor, but it's essential for a magazine. And this is from somebody who has a problem with the organization because, well, you know, I have certain learning disabilities I won't even get into on the air, but, you know, so it makes organization, you know, a real Creatives effort for are me. never organized. And that's no, we are we all not. Have to, my, my wife does not understand that. And, and she, because she's a jock, does not understand why my life is not organized. Uh, but that's just how it is. And and I think that's something that is, is important to understand as someone looking to subscribe to a magazine or looking to uh, submit information to a magazine or, or even just that, kind of asking the question of, why the heck do I care about Military Miniature Magazine to begin with, is to understand that there's a level of organization and discipline there. It's not just three people saying, let's do a podcast. Oh, wait, <laughs> I know those jerks. Um, but it's it's not that level of fly-by-night, haven't thought it through. You all and your team really have, and I think that's a huge credit to you all that you've, you know, you, there's a lot of things you know are eventualities you'll cross those bridges when you get to them and and you know publishing is one of them hard co hard mm -hmm. copy publishing uh, but you have thought through a lot of the others and you're building the plan such that you can have a successful web release and continually put more content out and do those kind of things and really that's what sets the foundation for everything else and i think you know if i had one thing to say to the community uh, overall it's go out and look at the information you all have put out from both the current episode—not episode, sorry—the current issue and the next issue from 101 and 201, and take a look at the at the quality of it. And it's not some dude writing a blog. It's not some lady going to a convention and just taking a couple happy snaps. There's there is a level of information and professionalism there um, that makes all of us say, okay, I'm willing to subscribe to that. I'm willing to give them my money because I know it's a product I'm going to enjoy at the end of the day. Um, how do you, how do you guys on the team, you're the guys and gals that, that are part of it, how do you kind of keep that in the forefront for, for making it not just a bunch of grognard articles, but making it things that people actually care about? Well, I say to myself, well, well I mean, the number one thing I asked myself was what the hell do I want to read? <laughs> I mean, it comes down to that. And second, it's... That goes back to the category of magazines we're not going to talk about that, that are hidden right, 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 right. <laughs> Sorry, not those yeah. kind of magazines. We, we want to yeah. read wargaming magazines. Yes, but not only what the hell do I want to write about, but also what's the stuff that's going to grab a wargamer and say, wow. Like, for example, our upcoming issue, Jim Webster... You know, he writes on the what he likes to call the scruffy side of wargaming. This guy loves writing about the Freikorps in Germany, you know, interwar, you know, uh, craziness in Russia, you know, uh, savage war of peace type stuff. That's what he likes to do. And, you know, so I, I he approached me, he said he wanted to write for us. He's he's British. I don't care because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, yet we're telling an American point of view. But I'm not going to tell British writers, no, 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 you can't write for us because that's just silly. But he approached us and he said, I've got this thing about this. Well, I guess the best way to describe it is secret war in quotation marks. The Soviets fought in Afghanistan in 1929. Yeah, I'm still laughing about that one when I saw that that, that was on, you know, you know, issue 201, 
because you and I talked about it. I'm like, I didn't even know they'd been in there in 1929. You know, neither and, did and, I. And we I had this great discussion uh, last night, the night before. I've forgotten too many tequila drinks between now and then about you know the the great game and all the different you know uh, kind of pinning the Russians in into things that they uh, into, into areas they're into. But it's just so funny to think about that even at that point. Uh, they're like, okay, we, we need to make this foray into Afghanistan. But it's an interesting article, obviously, uh, in y'all's uh, next next issue that's coming out. Oh, yeah. I mean, he wrote it for, you know, his, his Hell by, hell in, I think it was either Hell's of All Places or not, not Hell by Daylight, but one of his other, you know, you know I, I call them the Hell series rules. But you could convert it. I mean, he meant it for six millimeter, you know, a six millimeter campaign, but you could convert the stuff to anything you want. And that's not that hard. Or you could do skirmishes based on, you know, what's going on. Because this war was nuts. I mean, you know, the more I read it, I was the more I read the rough draft, the more I was like, like, oh my God, what were they? What were the Russians thinking? We have this great idea. We'll invade Afghanistan and we'll only hold it for a few years. Yeah, that never works out. <laughs> <laughs> really? We might have validated that like thirty times in the last couple hundred years. But yeah, so. You know, that's that's one of the things that I enjoyed looking through the article and even even the kind of articles that I'll be honest, um, Dark Ages, Wargaming, not exactly the first thing I turned to. It was funny to sit there and read through in, in the first issue all the Norman conquests in Italy, because once again, history that I just didn't know about. And mm-hmm. more importantly, I'll be honest, it was something I'm like, I am absolutely never going to wargame that. But it's a cool piece of history that kind of sticks in the back of my brain and says, hey, if you ever wanted to do Dark Age stuff and didn't want to do Vikings and every other thing people are used to, here's something cool you could always go try. Um, because I, I think a lot of gamers sometimes, and I know I'm a, I'm a huge victim of it, we get focused into a specific genre, a time period, you know, any of those things, and we forget to step back and go, what are all the other cool historical influences that that I've heard about or read about that might make an interesting game. Uh, and so it's, it's cool to see that uh, through your magazine. Oh, yeah. And that is something we're very excited about. Like I said, you know, I, I jokingly say that we'll go to the ends of the earth to find that really unique idea. I mean, you know, we're doing some probably some more roads, more traveled for the April issue. I don't want to give too much away for that yet. But the article that we got for it was just so good, I had to make it the, the centerpiece of the April edition. Nice. So nice. I'm being serious when I can really see this taking off. First off, the 6mm article is my favorite because I'm working on 6mm right now. But have you given any thought to, instead of every three months, bringing that down a little bit? We are. Um, that would be – we're doing that in July no matter what. Heck Yeah. So it will be bi-monthly after that. The only reason we're doing quarterly, guys, and and I said this to Samantha when we first started out, we're going to screw up. Let's learn now, screw up now, and by the time we go bi-monthly, we'll be a well-oiled machine. That almost sounds like the Lead Pursuit podcast <laughs> plan for failure. <laughs> We're going to totally punt this, and then by some time in three years later, we will have figured it out. No, I mean, I, I can understand why you look at things that way, because there's there's certainly an element of go out there, fall flat on your face, make the mistakes, and then say, you know what? It wasn't that the idea was wrong. It was our implementation of it, and let's go back and let's change how that works. 
Um, so hopefully you guys are going to, are going to make a transition, uh, to, you know, more, more content coming out, more magazines coming out. Um, and once again, let's make the shameless plug. The only way that is successful is from people subscribing. Oh yeah. We, we need you. And, uh, you know, and you know the other shameless plug: advertisers, please don't be shy. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So, so this is this is a fifty-fifty piece here, and and I don't say this lightly um, because in today's world, there are so many uh, so many people on Patreon that that want you to support them. There's so many uh, streaming services that are happy to take fourteen ninety nine from you every month. There, there's so many things that say, hey, it's just a small amount of money and we'll just take it a little bit right now and you'll never miss it. And then when you do a hundred of them, all of a sudden you have no money. Uh, but it's one of those kind of things that I think I would recommend uh, for war gamers that are committed to the, at least the American community. It's worthy of doing. It's it's one of those things you say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to subscribe because I want to see where this is going. And it's not going to go anywhere if I don't subscribe. And I think it's a huge problem we have in the Internet today uh, in the wider community is everybody's like, well, I want to see what it's going to do. I want to see how it's going to turn out. Well, it takes money to do that. So if you do not subscribe, it's kind of like Kickstarter. If you don't contribute to the Kickstarter, the game might not get released. So it's 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 really a catch-22. What do you guys have for subscription rates and plans? Well, right now we have a year plan for four issues. Although if you subscribe, I think if you subscribe for the January issue or either for the, not the January, the, yeah, the January issue or the April issue, you'll probably end up getting six because we're going to transition around July to bi-monthly. So that's $26 and 20 cents a year. How also, uh, I would do that soon because the price when we go to buy monthly is going to probably go up a little bit. I I, yeah, I have to absolutely. run the numbers with Samantha, but it's not going to be a significant yoink. Um, I can tell you that. Uh, if you want to buy individual issues, it's six dollars and seventy five cents. And that's actually not bad. And I laugh not because at all. The, the reason I bring this is a number of times that I will not subscribe to something, but I will go back and I'll pick out those individual back issues because of the overall tone or, or what things cover and i'll pick on you know all war gamers out there because there's 90 percent of war games i don't care about napoleonics uh, american civil war <laughs> but but every time i will and once in a while i'll find something that is focused around the other piece then i want to get that information and so you know i, I don't want to totally guilt everybody into thinking that they have to do a regular subscription but the fact is, if you find something that's cool in the magazine, go buy the back issue. I, let me be honest. I'm an aviation photographer, and I do that all the time with, like, Air Force's Monthly uh, and, and those magazines, even ones I've been published in that I don't have subscriptions to anymore <laughs> because I'm just – I'm not going to read it on a monthly basis. But I also know that when I go find that really cool article that I need – I'm going to go pay and, and buy the back issue. So um, I would encourage the community to, to kind of be open to that. Take a look, watch the magazine, see what you like. And most importantly, if, if you don't like it, don't just kind of pout and say, we don't like where the magazine's going. Give Jason the feedback. <laughs> Tell them what you would like things written about. Be the person that submits him an article about the things they're not covering. You know, really, I would, I would ask the community to help you drive the magazine to where it ought to be to cover the unique hobby uh, things for the United States. 
to quote Jerry Maguire, help us help you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I do have a big announcement to make also, and I promised Samantha I would do this, and I am also yeah, please do it because if it. Samantha gets angry at me, I won't get any more free back issues. So so so, so please keep Samantha happy because right Wait, now you made me pay for my issues. Yeah, what? Exactly. Because yeah, you're the new guy. No, but 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 if 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 I can keep Samantha happy, I don't. I, whatever coffee she drinks, whatever her favorite alcoholic beverage is, I will send her way <laughs> as long as you could keep feeding lead pursuit information. Okay. We are also establishing a publishing division. We are we have at least one book that's slated to come out in 2022. I, I'm not going to give too many details about it, but it's a wargaming-focused publishing division. Uh, we're calling it Military Miniature Press. And we are taking book submissions for 2023. Uh, we'll have a press release out shortly where you can submit, you know, uh, query letters and that sort of thing. But it's we've like I said, we've already got somebody writing a book for us in 2022. Awesome. Um, we may have another one, but, you know, it's kind of early. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited about this. We had our first meeting with the author today and it looks really good. Um he it was a covid project for him well i'll say that much so he had a lot of time <laughs> on his hands i might understand that yeah i know how that works we were we were laughing about uh between the eagle leader uh team and the fulcrum leader team today about you know things that get done during covid and things that don't there's a point where you just play test with whatever you have and you're like i don't care <laughs> i mean i'd have the right cards i mean i'd have the right counters i've just got time on my hands so Right. So that's what I'm so that so that's our big announcement is that we are doing this and we are taking, you know, rule submissions, uh, practical wargaming books of practical use to the wargamer, like, you know, the terrain, you know, how to for terrain and figures and all that sort of thing. We want that, you know, straight general histories. We're not going to publish. You know, uh, no offense to you guys, but try osprey <laughs> yeah yeah that's what osprey and hellion do and they yeah they exactly a ton of them so <laughs> yes and we are not competing with those guys well, and, but... and i'll say so so this is a an interesting point to me though it's fascinating that not only osprey has their own wargaming division but hellion does now which yes, is they do. which is super surprising to me and i didn't know that until i was out surfing around their website, um, looking, looking, going down these rabbit holes that Casey sent me down. So it's all his fault. Yes, when I've bought, I'm innocent. Um, but, but it's interesting that there are a lot of the traditional book publishers thinking about war games, which makes it interesting and both disturbing for the small press um, that's used to to kind of operating in that environment. But what I'll say is, at least from going to Hellion's site. Um, I'm not worried because I'm not doing English Civil War, so I don't think I'm fitting into any writing any rules that they really care about at this point. <laughs> no, no, and I, I I can't honestly say you know there's a there's a real threat of uh, a lot of American war gamers doing Amer English Civil War. Now that said, I did see a really nice English Civil War Carnage and Glory game um, that I actually ra ran into the president of HMGS East at. Um, and, uh, we had a lovely discussion while he's sitting there trying to get his parliamentarians to rally. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it was all of that kind of, you know, there's, there's a sense of, there is a lot of, I, I guess the word I'm trying to say is there is a lot of, you know, cross pollination between English and American wargaming scene, 
But there's also, like you said, a lot of differences. I mean, even regionally, like if you go to New York City, the clubs are run very much on a British model. There's formal, you know, officers, there's premises, there's you pay your dues. It's everything's done. Robert rules of order down here. Oh, good God. It's. Hey, I'm running a game at such and such. Oh, the brats and beer at seven. Don't be late. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I laugh with our local community here in Alabama. And it's probably even different than how Casey is out in Texas. But but where we are, it's very much about the only structure is, look, first and third Wednesdays are this game store. Second and fourth are this game store. Other than that, it's a bizarre free-for-all and then, if some game store owner wants to run a tournament, it totally breaks the entire, you know, <laughs> your plan of where everyone's supposed to go. But it's interesting because some game clubs, you know, operate very different, you know, regionally. And I think you guys are obviously focusing on an interesting part of that market because on your website, and obviously it'll probably filter over into the magazine, you have an events page, a stores page, a community group page, you know, ways to drive people towards some of their regional solutions for wargaming. Yeah, because I'll be honest with you. I've run into plenty of people at Historicon where, I mean, I'll just use Chain of Command as an example. Their only time that they get to play Chain of Command is literally Historicon or Cold Wars or whatever, you know. And I kind of want to be able to push guys who don't get to play the games they want to play to like-minded folks or even to say, Hey, here's a group of guys. I can introduce this rule set, or maybe they have a rule set that I might like, or you get the idea, you know, have it's you considered so, doing like a discord for it. From your we are, we're, we're actually working on some ideas along those lines. I don't want to say too much, uh, but there's something coming. Let's just say there's something. I'm just seeing it like in my mind fitting well with the magazine and everything. And I'm like, hey, there's some there's some stuff here. To quote Dave Bowman from 2010, something's coming. Something wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And the problem with Discord is you always get those personalities. And we know. Oh, who, tell me about it. We know exactly <laughs> who we're talking about, especially in the Blood Red Skies world. I mean. Do you know who I am? Yeah, so so those people can ruin Discord for anyone, but that's all right. And I'll probably have now lost that one British subscriber I just made fun of. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> the fact is, you know, th- those things are always fraught with such peril. I, I guess. Oh God, I, yeah. I love the interaction, but I also realize uh, because of a number of the discords that I participate in for very very narrow and very specific game, uh, you know, groups. That it's so interesting how one personality can can change the discussion, and it can go from super freewheeling, super uh, low ego, to all of a sudden every question is judgmental, and it's it's calling the rules writers the worst, most horrible people ever. <laughs> you know, so so good luck with it. You know, I'll say that now. It's it's one of the things that yeah, if you, if you guys transition that direction, that'd be awesome. I just, man, I, I've, I've got to this point in my life, and Casey has, has heard me rail about it when we have our uh, lead pursuit uh, meetings amongst you know all four of us. It's this point where I'm like, can't everyone just get along? I'm like, I get it. You don't like me. I don't like you. Whatever. <laughs> can't we at least just put on a good face and go play a war game together? Um, because it's the rest of the vitriol and, and anger and everything else that, that gets so super frustrating for me. 
Um, so hopefully you guys will avoid that. But anyway, we we're trying, we're trying. <laughs> well, and that's good. And and I'll be honest, I, the thing that I've enjoyed, you know, checking through the website and seeing is especially like the events page where you give people an opportunity to say, hey, here's my event, here's what's going on. Sure, a lot of it may be TBD, but put it on your calendar. Uh, because right now, and I know you and I both talked about it, there's a problem for war gamers that unless they're part of a core group like HMGS, where you will get email updates about the other HMGS events, you don't necessarily know what the other conventions are. There's not a single source that you go to and go, what could I be going to next month? What could I do next quarter? What am I doing in the fall? You know, I have free time in my schedule. I know, and it, it it's it's can be really frustrating because I was sitting there when we initially put together the events page, um, and I'm sitting there and I'm scratching my head, going, "Well, okay, I know this con is there, here this con is here," because I live on the East Coast. I know what cons are generally on the East Coast, generally speaking. You know, there's a few I miss here and there, um, but you know when you know Samantha's asking me, "Well, what do you know about the West Coast?" and you know. Rockies, I'm like scratching my head, going, uh, "Not much." Yeah, <laughs> so I, mean, I had I mean, to go. You're probably reduced about the way I'm. It's going to tabletop events and kind of surfing the list. I mean, because that's yeah, I, I, that's the only way I find out about things. And and I'll be honest, and people who've listened to the podcast uh, for more than like three episodes know that we do this. We we stay super plugged in with John Russell because he tells me what events are coming up, and half the time there are events I've never heard of. Or they're small one-off things done by a game store, and he'll call me up and say, "Hey, they want to do a gathering of eagles in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, in November." I'm like, "Sure, sounds like a great idea. Do I have to attend?" <laughs> you know, and it's no, I, you know that's that's the kind of information that the community just is 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 missing in a lot of cases. And one of the things I'm trying to help a friend here do is he's trying to put together a beer and brew day here. And I, I don't want to give too many details because it's still early, but he, you know, he's working with a local brewery and he's trying to put that together. And, you know, it's it would be great if he could do it because I I said, hey, you know, if you can get that done, we'll put it in the events calendar. But that's the thing. We need game stores to send us events. We well, need and you I'll know, make people that organizing plug for the guys that are, you know, right up US 72 from us. Uh, Game on Chattanooga. Uh, apparently, they've cracked the nut because they have their board games and brews night. And I wish I could remember if, if it's only once a month or if it's twice a month. Um, but they have nailed that. And it's one of those things that those of us down the road here in Huntsville, Alabama, are super jealous of. <laughs> We're like, that's really not fair. I, it really does me no good because now I have to get a hotel room because I'm driving an hour and a half to Chattanooga. <laughs> and if I'm going to hang out and drink beer and, and uh, play board games, I'm not driving back home. So you know, it's one of those things that we haven't got right in our market here because literally we have Lucky Dice Cafe right next to a tap house and we don't do combined events, but whatever. I'll throw that out to the Lucky Dice crowd. Lucky Dice, we love you. You guys are great. Figure it the F out. <laughs> Getting beers out of your fridge is not the same as having the tap house next door. So um, uh, There's an have, ultimatum have, if I ever heard one. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, and that's the problem. We, we Literally, a number of us here in Huntsville, um, my buddy Matt, who, who he and I play a lot at Station Retro, one of the other stores, we love it because they've got food, they've got a great setup. 
but we keep looking at their owner and going, when are you getting your liquor license? <laughs> I would like to have a beer now instead of a Coke Zero, you know. Uh, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. So every, every game store has to figure it out, figure out the, the legalities and, and how much it costs. But it's, it's just so frustrating because you're right. There, there's certain events that are, would be super cool to do. Um, and it's just, it's tough to put together and, and get the right amount of people to, uh, to pitch in and to help out. Well, we are lucky. We have Huzzah Hobbies out here. In, I want to say in Sterling, but uh, I'm probably getting that wrong. But uh, they have their liquor license, and you know, they have a nice beer selection. I must say, it's they, they even carry some beers I sometimes never heard of. It's like, where's this from? It, it, it's it's aged with real tulips. Oh yeah, I'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I still don't understand how it's possible in the town that put men on the moon that. That we literally have four game shops in this town, one of them right next to a brewery, <laughs> and we don't have a gaming and drinking beer night. I mean, like we're the we're the epicenter of uh, microbrewery in North Alabama here in Huntsville, and we don't have that. So, so for all the game stores in Huntsville, if you're listening, which I know you are, because some of you make fun of me when we all stand around the store together, if you're listening. Fix that shit. <laughs> I'm tired of drinking canned beer at your at your game nights. So anyway, the gauntlet's been thrown. I see. Well, I'm probably gonna get some angry emails here now. What do you mean you're trying to get beer night at my game store? Exactly. Well, I, 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 you know. Tell them they make more sales that way because you know after we're all looking up, we're like, absolutely, I need a new army. Of course, I want more 28 millimeter Napoleonics. No, I don't. I hate Napoleonics. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, um, Casey loves uh, Napoleonics, right, Casey? Yes, I do. I don't know. I'll introduce you to them soon enough. No, no, you won't. It's all right. I, 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 I sort of got into silver bayonet mainly because, well, you know, it's it's sharp meets yeah, but, werewolves. Yeah, exactly. But see, that doesn't count. That that that's not that's not dusty old men in a basement Napoleonics. So so silver that's bayonet. True. I actually have not gone out and looked at it all. I've I've kind of read a little bit on the on the internet, but I I. I'm like, that could be interesting or it could be a whole nother, you know, kind of death spiral that we go into every time we find a new game and, and things that we have to pitch into. But anyway, we've been talking for over an hour. Um, it has been awesome to discuss the fact that you guys have started up a magazine and that Military Miniature Magazine is is driving forward. Obviously, on the web, Military Miniature, no S. We're not going to talk about that. No drama there. MilitaryMiniature.com. Uh, you can find the magazine out there. Uh, what are some of the other things you want to leave the listeners with? Um, you know, basically, please subscribe. If you can't subscribe right now, I know money's tight for some folks. At least pick up the back issue uh, if you can. Um, you know, give us a shot. Like I said, we're, you know, we're here to make the community a better place at the end of the day. That's that's the way I see it. We're here to try and do something for the community. You know, yes, we're also a business. Yes, we're trying to make a profit. But at the end of the day, look, you know, somebody in the first uh, – Brent Evans in my first interview with him and Blaine Pardo for Creative Juggernaut said, you know, the hobby, we're competitors, but it, we're also rooting for each other. Well, and I, I, I think that's super important to understand is you and I talked about it that a lot of podcasters are like, wait, a magazine, that's competition. That's people are going to spend their time and attention on that. But it's our hobby. So, yes, I want them to, because 
you know, as much as Casey and I would like to, we can't cover everything. Even about aerial wargaming, we can't cover everything. So let other people go out and do, you know, and get back on my soapbox for a moment. I run into the same thing in aviation photography. You'll find photographers that are like, I wanted to shoot that airplane. I wanted to, to, you know, fly with that organization. And they get all bent out of shape because somebody went and did. And I'm like, you know what? Be happy for them. Be happy they got to see these rare warbirds up close. Be happy they got to do this photography event. It's kind of the same thing for wargamers. Be happy that somebody got to talk about the fun they had playing this game. Because then it's going to make more of us want to play that game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, awesome. Thank you very much. Casey, any last-minute thoughts, questions, comments, spears from you? So, you know, I will say this. I'm a little bit of a different gamer. I didn't start gaming in World War II like you That's did. That's an understatement. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm fairly new. It really started around like 2015. But uh, this so a little bit different take on it. But, Jason, you know, I'm really impressed by this. And one of the things I really like a lot is very U.S.-centric. And that's kind of what I was looking for, especially in a time when – Shipping costs are just crazy, and it's taking forever for things to get across mm-hmm. the pond. You're shining a light on all these U.S. companies, which is awesome, and uh, one of my favorite, Pico Armor. And um, just that, you know, it's a lot of U.S. games and these cons reports, and it's basically like our magazine, so to say, you know, locally. Yeah. And so it's really cool, and I'm telling, you know, all my buddies that listen to this and stuff, like, they're not going to be disappointed. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to the next issue. Thank you. Thank you. Um, like I said, we're we're happy to, you know, we're happy when we hear readers tell us we like this. You know, I, you know, I'll give you an example of a reader that wasn't so happy. We had a gentleman. He subscribed. His computer wasn't up to running WebGL for some reason. Age of his computer, he told us. So you know what? We made it possible for him to download it manually, so he could get his first issue of his subscription. And, you know, he first he's saying, I'm disappointed on TMP. I found the guy. I tracked him down, told him to email me. We got the issue resolved. Within 10 seconds of that, he's posting, well, their customer service is freaking awesome. I'm like, that's that's the kind of thing I want to see. Because it's not just the it's not just the problems. It's not just the praise. It's the problems you fix, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we've we've learned that. Um, sometimes the hard way, but we, we've tried to keep that in the forefront for a lot of things we do at Lead Pursuit because, unfortunately, running a web store, you invariably fall short of your customers' expectations. Thank you, shipping. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> actually, I'll blame my 3D printer. Hey, that, that guy. Hey, hey, putting, hey, those, hey. <laughs> putting all those 3D models. That it's guy's falling art. down the job. Yeah, it's an art. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things that you're always going to fall short at some point of your customers' expectations and how a company and organization react to that and how they make it right. Uh, speaks volumes about the people. And, you know, Jason, that's been the one super cool thing you know, talking to you over the last couple of times that we've interacted and, and doing this podcast. And I'm not saying that it's just to fluff you, just to make you feel good. It's, it's really cool to talk to somebody who cares about the community and that's the motivator for what they do because so many people today kind of want to hear their own voice. They want to hear their own perspective. They, they want to be in their own echo chamber. They aren't out there to make the entire community better. And y'all over at military miniature magazine absolutely are. Um, so we're happy to partner with you. You know, we're happy to, to 
get the information out there. Um, I guess this means I actually have to subscribe. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> More of my discussion gotcha. income God damn it, he got gotcha. it. But, but that's, that's one of those things that, that we're happy to be a part of. Um, and we're happy to work with you all. And we'd encourage our listeners to go out and take a look. And if it's what you like, subscribe. If it's not, then provide feedback to them. Just like we're always happy to get our feedback, which we got a ton of today. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make sure you give Jason and the team over there uh, some feedback on what you think's great, what you don't like. Uh, and that way, that can steer the magazine towards what the readership really wants. Um, with that being said, Jason, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Really appreciate it, man. Really appreciate taking the time. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. We Hopefully we'll talk to you later as, as things transition and you're getting more and more issues out there. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, talk about all the, all the triumphs and all the tragedies <laughs> things oh, that, that you've learned, uh, learned in the intervening months. Uh, and I'll make the last pitch out to our listeners. Please go out, like review all the standard stuff that podcasts ask. Um, why is that? That's because even though we're an E-rated podcast and we use words like dickbag, uh, that we can actually get out there and people can actually, oh uh, find, <laughs> can, can actually oh no. find us out there. It, blame Casey. It's all his fault. It, he's the one that started it. Uh, but, but the fact is, make sure you let us know what you like. Um, and I say that in all seriousness, even with all the drama that's gone on in the last couple of days. Uh, inside Blood Red Skies groups, inside uh, Lead Pursuit, Blue Falcon Hobbies, all those kind of things. Uh, because we are about the community. We want to make sure the community is getting what they need. Um, but we're also going to offer you our unfiltered opinion. So if you need a filtered opinion, um, please go elsewhere. <laughs> With that, I'd like to say thank you everyone for listening tonight. We will talk to you all later.